You're listening to the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. On this week's show... Two weeks ago today, um, I got fired. The reasoning was I missed a shift to go to my grandma's funeral. I had spoken with the manager, multiple literally said they will find coverage for my shift. Don't worry about it. From the checkout podcast, A Bitter Brew, as Starbucks fires an award-winning barista. Then... On Workweek Radio, Sao Paulo transit worker Fabio Bosco reports on the results of last weekend's victory by Lula and the Workers' Party in Brazil. The Supreme Court is connected with the capitalist interests at this moment, which is Lula must rule, okay? Bolsonaro will remain, uh, but uh, they cannot block the, the roads. We Business needs to... <laughs> To go on, you see, you cannot stop the, the economy. From El Cafecito del Dia, everything you need to know about the Illinois Workers' Rights Amendment. It would codify, it would make the right to form a union, and make it the law of the land. It will enshrine that right in our state constitution. People died. 300,000 people lost their homes. They were well displaced. Beirut was destroyed. And the saddest part are the immigrant workers. This segment features a report on the effects of the 2020 Beirut port blast on workers in that city. And it comes to us from Labor Radio, which covers the workers' movement across Quebec, Turtle Island, and the globe. And can be heard every third Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal, Canada, and of course on the internet. In our final report today from the Heartland Labor Forum, we find out why zookeepers in Salinas, Kansas, organized a union. We are out there day after day making sure that our animals have food, water, shelter, and are properly taken care of. So there's a lot that goes into it, and it's definitely not uh, an easy job, and it's much more laborious than people realize as well. That's all coming up on this edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. And if you like what you hear, and we sure hope you do, please take a moment to subscribe and share the show. It's what we like to call Sonic Solidarity. I'm Chris Garlock, and this is the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Here's the show. Welcome back to The Checkout. Michael Sanabria. Starbucks Workers United. Thanks so much for making time for us. Hey, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Do you mind backing up and actually telling our audience a bit more about your career for those of them who may not have listened to the prior episode? Because you had a, an, you know, pretty uh, amazing career there, including uh, winning some awards. And, and maybe tell a bit about your job and the recognition you've got for it. Yeah. So I've had worked at Starbucks um, since October 2017. Um, the is like a supervisor, um, and early actually, like after about a year of being there, um, every year they do, at least prior to the pandemic, it's been a little sketchy since then, but they do what's called the barista championship. So you start at the store and you have to like make a drink perfectly to like Starbucks standards and then also talk about it. So I had to like talk about where in the world, some of the coffee beans that we were using came from and how 
the different areas in the world will impact the flavor. Um, and talk about like how I talk with customers while I'm like making their drinks and stuff. And um, so I wanted my store level. Then I went on to the district level and there we had to do basically the same thing, but like a little more involved. So instead of one drink, it was four. And then instead of just like at the espresso machine behind the bar, we had to do uh, lead a coffee tasting. So we had to do what's like a pour over coffee, um, which is brewing just like an individual cup. We had to explain like why we picked that coffee, um, how it's going to like how it's going to taste, what flavors you're looking for, how a pour over is going to bring out those flavors versus like a French press or like a brewed coffee and like a coffee machine or like an espresso machine. Um, so like I won an award for that as uh, the district barista champion. I actually went out of state um, to Pennsylvania to compete as well. Um, I didn't get so lucky there, but that's okay. Um, there was really, really intense competition there too. Um, yeah, so that is most of my career, like it's so far. So give me an idea of what your idea. current situation is right now and what, what you're planning to do in in response. Um, so at my store currently, we did unionize back in July, um, certified the vote. Um, and then actually, face Friday, so three weeks or two weeks ago, two weeks ago today, um, I got fired. Um, the reasoning was I missed a shift to go to my grandma's funeral. Um, I had spoken with the manager, multiple managers actually, and a couple layers of management about that's about that being the reason why I was not able to go to my shift. Actually, I have a text with the store manager where they literally said they will find coverage for my shift. Don't worry about it. Um, in my separation notice, my manager lied and said that I told him I was going to work a second job instead. And that multiple times he told me that I needed to find coverage. And because I didn't, they had to separate me. Um, that is made up. I didn't have a second job. Um, don't have a second job. So that just came up out of nowhere, basically. Um, so what we've done is my store has been on strike since I got fired. Um, Cause they're, and they're super upset. Um, going back to like how awful staffing has been when the campaign started, my store had around 35 people. Um, after my firing, we're down to nine. Um, so that was the other reason that everybody was upset was they fired me and some me and somebody else the same day, two of the union leaders for bogus reasons. Um, when you already have almost nobody, and I was like the only person with fully open availability, everybody else is like in and out of school or stuff like that. Um, when you lose like a staple person like that, like that is a lot um, that drains the team significantly um, and it sucks and it's not right. Um, so they're on strike over that. Um, I have also like filed charges with the National Labor Relations Board and I am appealing it within Starbucks. Um, I don't know how well that's going to go. It's, to my understanding, that has only worked for one other union leader anywhere in the country. Um, I have heard back that somebody is investigating my case. That doesn't, I, I don't like, they'll get back to me also with the results, like when they investigate it or when they're done. Um, I don't have a time frame for that. But that also, like, they don't have to look at everything. 
this is something that I want to keep in mind, like not trying to get my hopes up is they can choose to just ignore everything and say, nope, your separation is fair. This is what we say as a company. Good luck with the rest of your life, basically. Um, I hope they won't be like that. I want them to be better. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Well, thanks for being on the checkout. Best of luck with everything. This is the This is Steve Seltzer with Workweek, and we've covered the struggle in Brazil with the rise of fascism and fascist movement in Bolsonaro and the recent election with Lula of the Workers' Party. And joining us is Fabio Bosco, who is a transit worker. He's also a member of Conlutas and has been involved in the struggle in Brazil for a working class, independent working class movement and uh, the political development of the working class in Brazil. So welcome to Workweek, Fabio. Uh, thanks, Steve, for having me. So Fabio, in our last discussion, we talked about the danger of the rise of fascism in Brazil and the recent elections. Maybe you can do an overview of what happened in the recent election and also the fact that Bolsonaro is still refusing to uh, accept uh, Lula victory and with the danger of a uh, still an attempted coup in, in Brazil. So maybe you can talk about what happened during the election and the results of the election. Look, Steve, the, the election was positive for the working class in the sense that it delivered a defeat on Bolsonaro and the far right in general. Uh, but it's important to see that Bolsonaro managed to put around him many different sectors, you see, and all these sectors, I mean, the police, the military, ultra-conservative Christians, militias, right-wing militias, he put all these people around him. So despite of the fact that he lost the election, uh, they are still active. To give an example, a couple of hours ago, uh, the, the news showed that there are 300 points of blockages in the highways, the federal highways in Brazil. These guys are connected to, to Bolsonaro and they are sponsored by sectors of the agribusiness, you see? They are not uh, truck drivers themselves. They are truck drivers hired by this agribusiness uh, bourgeoisie who are uncomfortable with the result of the national elections. So this shows to us that the far right lost elections but they will remain. And the uh, Bannon and the Trump supporters in the United States are calling on Bolsonaro to reject the election and to basically try to stay in power. And a relationship between the US fascist right-wing forces and Brazilian forces, how deep is it in Brazil? It's very deep. <laughs> they are deeply connected. In reality, there is an international alliance of the far right, you see. And uh, uh, Trump and Bannon, they are in the center of it. Uh, and Bolsonaro is totally connected to them. Uh, but the, the problem that Bolsonaro has today is that, uh, look, he managed to build a strong basis, you see. But among these people, there are people that believe that he must accept the, the, the result. 
including people that are very close to him that were elected for to become governor of Sao Paulo, for instance, or to the Senate. Uh, they want the, the, the elections to be respected. They don't want to, to put into question the legitimacy of the elections. So you have this wing, which is powerful. And you have another wing, which is smaller, but they are the most uh, radicalized, uh, far-right members of his group. You see, these guys want a military coup d'etat. They are blocking the streets saying, they put banners saying uh, intervention of the army now, you see? So this, uh, this sector, so Bolsonaro, what happened to him? He's hiding in the presidential palace. He has not said anything up to now. At the same time, he's telling these guys to, to carry out these blockages. He's telling the, the, the federal police that's responsible for the highways to to not interfere, but in some place they are even helping them. Um, but if he go into the public because of the whole pressure that is in Brazil now, he will be obliged in some way to recognize the, the result of the election. That, that's why he's hidden and he's acting, he's active doing uh, his politics. That's what I see. Um, all political analysts here uh, the liberal ones, including, uh, they believe that there is no space at this moment for a kind of coup d'etat. And that's why, look, the Supreme Court very quickly to take a decision that uh, the, the, the federal police must open the highways and they, they are putting um, a fine of 100,000 reais, that is more or less $20,000 per hour on the, pre, on the main official of the federal police if he don't open the, you see? And, he, and the Supreme Court voted that either he opened the highways or he will put in jail. So the Supreme Court is part of this uh, institutional bourgeois state. So the Supreme Court is connected with the capitalist interests at this moment, which is uh, Lula must rule, okay? Bolsonaro will remain, uh, but uh, they cannot block the, the roads. We, business needs to, <laughs> to go on, you see? You cannot stop the, the economy. So that's the, the appreciation I, I have at this moment. So thanks for joining us on Work Week and uh, we will obviously continue to follow this struggle because it's not just something in Brazil. The same struggle is really happening in the United States. So thanks for joining us. Bobby. Hey, thank you, Steve. Bienvenidos. Welcome to El Cafecito del Día. Brought to you by the Labor Council for Latin American Advancement, our conversations are inspired by the moments of togetherness that Nuestra Comunidad shares over un cafecito. Hola, my name is Maria Hernandez. Illinois ballots in the November election will include a vote on an amendment to the state's constitution, known as the Workers' Rights Amendment. But what does this do and why does it matter? Today, we'll be discussing this important amendment with Secretary-Treasurer of the Chicago Federation of Labor, Don Vilar, and Jose Alcala, President of Painters Local 184 and Lockless Chicago Metro Chapter President. Thank you so much for joining us today, Don and Jose, and for all of your important work. So our first question today is, can you tell us a little bit about the Workers' Rights Amendment that will be in Illinois ballots this coming November? The Workers' Rights Amendment, it would codify, it would 
make the right to form a union and make it the law of the land. It will enshrine that right in our state constitution. Our rights, our workplace rights, our rights to collectively bargain, they're constantly under attack. We see that in a lot of the court decisions. We see that in a lot of legislation that's passed around the country. In Illinois, we value the right to form a union, the right to organize, the right to have a collective voice. So this would enshrine that right in the Constitution here in Illinois. So how is this workers' rights amendment different to existing protections related to labor rights? Everybody thought that we had the right to women's rights to choose and how the courts were able to roll that back. And even a few years ago, right, the Janus decision where the courts rolled back the right for public sector to collectively bargain. So yeah, sure, the National Labor Relations Act, that's labor law in the land, but we know that's not labor law in all the states and that's under attack all the time. In 1937, that right was found constitutional. There's always a risk that this court or somebody can, t roll, can take that right away. But this law, this amendment, makes sure that nobody could ever take that right away. Laws, laws can be passed all the time, and whether it passes constitutional muster, it's always a question. Since this is now in the Constitution in the state of Illinois, no other state law can ever take the constitutional right to form a union away. Once the voters vote yes for the Workers' Rights Amendment. Don, can you speak to the impact this amendment would have specifically on the Latino community? For Latino workers, this is a godsend. This is something that will, again, protect them. Think about the fact that Latino workers are more likely to be killed or be injured at the workplace compared to the rest of the population. One thing that labor law aims to do is build that collective voice. Hey, we've got this constitutional amendment that, you know, that we have the right to say, by the way, we're not going to tolerate dangerous working conditions. We're not, gonna, we're not going to be marginalized as workers. You do have rights. You do have rights to, to band together and demand safer work conditions, wages, hours. Don, so the Liberty Justice Center and the Illinois Policy Institute have lighted up legal challenges in an attempt to weaken it and remove it from the ballot. They've been unsuccessful in lower state courts, and they're now trying to get their case heard by the Illinois Supreme Court. Why do you think people oppose this amendment? It boils down to worker power and corporate interests and corporate greed. In states where workers' rights are limited, workers make thousands of dollars less, and also in worker safety. A lot of these companies companies and businesses, they don't want to pay workers. If workers band together and demand better wages and hours conditions, they don't want to do that. So it's about treating workers like people instead of treating workers as disposable. So you've got these groups, they don't care about the working class. They don't care that you're going to go home safely at the end of the day. They don't care that you have enough money to support yourself or your family. The only thing they care about is their profit margins, that can they squeeze more life out of a working person or can they marginalize workers so they can make more money. That's the bottom line. It's about how do we treat each other and these interests, these business interests, they marginalize workers, they pit Latino workers against black workers, against white workers, against Asian workers. Just to keep their wages down, keep workplaces unsafe. And actually, they're going to mask it behind so many other issues. Oh, this is about this, that, or the other. But at the end of the day, it's about corporate greed. It's about whether you want to treat people with dignity and respect or you just want to marginalize them. And this Workers' Rights Amendment, it lifts up workers. Don and Jose, the time you spent with us helped to sweeten lo que a veces seems like a better cup of coffee. And as we all know, once you wake up and smell the cafecito, you just can't go back to sleep. So on behalf of LACLA, Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge. Hasta la próxima. Welcome to Labor Radio here on CKUT 90.3 FM. This is your co-host, Mustafa Henaway. My name is Stefan Doucette. Uh, happy to have you with us again. 
Uh, catch us every third Thursday of the month between 5 and 6 p.m. 90.3 FM here in Montreal. CKUT.ca all over the internet. And we also have um, Mixcloud and Facebook for the show if you want to go back and listen. We're also part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network uh, where you can... Uh, listen to more uh, labor-oriented shows. We're joined on the line uh, from Halifax uh, with comrade Mazen Hutait. He's a Lebanese um, member of the Communist Party of Lebanon, a lawyer for some of the victims of the Beirut port blast. And uh, we're going to talk about some of the struggles going on in Lebanon um, in particular, there's some teacher struggles going on, but also just the general state of the working class with uh, the sort of crumbling of the economy there and um, hyperinflation and whatnot. So uh, welcome to the show, Mazen. Welcome to you and thank you. Going to the sort of the, the, the current moment, um, You've been, I mean, one of you, you've been actually a, a, a lawyer as part of the investigation uh, into the port blast. And uh, if you can just uh, explain why you felt your, like, why it was important to do so and sort of what it exposed, uh, not just as a grave human tragedy, uh, but but also to connecting it to before sort of this, the, the, the kind of the regime and the system uh, that that exists within Lebanon. Okay, in 2020, in 2020, the Beirut port has exploded due to the extensive ext- existence of dangerous materials entered to the country in 2013 in an illegal way, and they stored in a warehouse without any security measures. All leaders. All Lebanese leaders, administrators, managers, public officials, ministers, prime ministers, and the president of the republic knew, knew about this ex- their extens- uh, existence. Report make uh, made by security services were sent to all mentioned official and people in charge, alerting them about the danger situation and how these materials could uh, could endanger the safety of the city, but no one seemed to care. People died, 300,000 people lost their homes. They well displaced, Beirut was destroyed. And the saddest part are the immigrant workers. We, ha- we are uh, many immigrant wor- workers and they are a poor people. And this immigrant workers were lost their lives and no one talked about them. We are, we were a group of, of lawyers who work uh, in human rights, uh, human rights and activists. We decide to plead for this immigrants worker victims and their families. And this way we participated in the process, proceeding of the investigation. And it's also because we want the truth. We name it, this explosion, we name it a crime of regime. All uh, departments, maybe, of uh, our regime or our system are involved with this uh, crime. 
And we want the truth and we want just the justice. And also we want to hold the responsibility of the blast accountable. Some of the political leaders belong to the political mafia. We are summoned to be investigated with. And the regime doesn't want any accountability. Do you know? They want this case to be closed like that. And they want it to look like an accident, maybe. So they did, and still doing till now, whatever it takes to finish this case and to stop the investigations. And they uh, decide to hurt us, do not uh, uh, approach any taboos in the system. Just, uh, you can put in a jail just uh, the smallest uh, administrative, uh, the people who are not leaders, and we are uh, many taboos in Lebanon, and you, you cannot approach to these taboos. Thank you very much, Mazen, for uh, taking the time to be on, on Labor Radio and sort of unpacking all of the sort of the current context in Lebanon and, 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 and the struggles. Uh, thank you, uh, Stefan and Mustafa, to give me this chance uh, to, to say what happened in our country and our struggles. You're listening to the Heartland Labor Forum on KKFI Community Radio 90.1 FM. I'm Ariana Blockman. Tonight, we're here to discuss the recent unionization of the zookeepers in Salina, Kansas at the Rolling Hills Zoo. We have with us zookeeper Laura Mason, as well as Esau Freeman, who is the business representative of SEIU Local 513 in Wichita, Kansas. Good evening. Thanks for having us. What kind of education is required and of you and your coworkers, and what are working conditions like for a zookeeper? So our working conditions really vary. It depends on kind of what animals you work with. We definitely work with some animals that are very dangerous mm -hmm. and have the potential to hurt us. We also work in all weather conditions. Mm -hmm. um, animals have to be fed, whether it's Christmas and 20 below or it's July and it's 110 degrees. Uh, we are out there day after day making sure that our animals have food, water, shelter, and are properly taken care of. So there's a lot that goes into it, and it's definitely not uh, an easy job, and it's much more laborious than people realize as well. So uh, what are some of the grievances that you and your coworkers sought unionization to address? So going into this, there were three main things that, that we really wanted to get out of this. The first one is holiday pay. We mm. currently do not get paid to work holidays, which really bothers us. Um, we understand going into this field that that's something we have to do. We have to work weekends. We have to work holidays. Mm. And we accept that, but we do feel like we should be compensated for spending our holidays there and after working a full shift. Uh, so that's a huge one for us is holiday pay mm -hmm. or getting just compensation and getting comp time for those holidays as mm -hmm. well. Another big one is um, our bereavement policy. Mm. Um, it hasn't been updated in 20 years. The current language of it is very vague. You know, you have to be legally bound to your partner for you to get bereavement. And it's also excludes a lot of family members. Right. And it's very narrow on what you can actually take it for. Mm. Um, and then the third major thing that we're after is sick leave. We currently do not receive sick time. We get a couple personal days. We get three personal days a year, but we get no additional sick leave. And 
most of us get sick more than three days a year. Right. Um, so that's a huge one for us, especially in a field that we are prone to injuries right. and needing time off for, you know, recuperation. And we're very hard on our bodies. Yeah, I bet. Especially being out in all conditions like that. And yeah. It- there are some animals you can you can get the sniffles from as well, and you guys are uh, the the pay is pretty low considering the amount of expertise and the amount of risk and the amount of hours and all of that. Yeah, absolutely, it is a big issue in our field. It is not just uh, my facility; it is a big, big issue in the field. We tend to be very underpaid, especially for people who have to have degrees. I mean, really, you pretty much have to have a degree to break in, and those mm-hmm. who don't um, are very knowledgeable and it's such a niche thing too you know we can't just leave and go do something else we have very niche skills and a very specific skill set and that turnover rate affects us as keepers it affects um you know management and it affects the animals as well i mean when they have that high turnover we learn those animals in and out and so Mm -hmm. when that constant you know, they constantly have new caretakers, they might not get quite the same care they would. I'm not saying yeah. they're not well taken care of, but it's got to be it stressful for the animals. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think one thing that union members and people that support unions could do is mm-hmm. go and visit the zoo. And when they go visit the zoo, talk to the, the zookeepers and let them know how proud they are of them of becoming union. And also, you know, let those ticket takers and the, and the other people around the zoo know that they support unions. We have been speaking to zookeeper Laura Mason as well as Esau Freeman, who's the business representative of SEIU Local 513 in Wichita, Kansas, about the recent unionization drive, which was successful, of the zookeepers in Salina, Kansas at the Rolling Hills Zoo. Thank you for being here, and have a great evening, you guys. Thank you. Thank you, you too. You have been listening to the Heartland Labor Forum, a show by and about workers, our workplaces, and our labor movement. And that's it for this edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, our roundup of highlights from just a few of the more than 150 labor radio shows and podcasts that make up the Labor Radio Podcast Network. We've got links to the shows you heard today in the show notes. You'll find all the network shows at laborradionetwork.org. And you can also find them by using the hashtag LaborRadioPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Labor Radio Podcast Weekly was edited this week by Patrick Dixon. I produce the show, and our social media guru, as always, is Mr. Harold Phillips. We hope your move went well, Harold. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Labor Radio Net. Find out more on our website at laborradionetwork.org. For Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, this is Chris Garlock. Stay active and stay tuned to your local Labor Radio Podcast show. See you next week.